voice. And he, uh, it was like sort of a smallish class, smaller than this room, but he, he was uh, giving the lecture with a, with a microphone and he whispered the whole lecture, about an hour and a half lecture. And it was really interesting because people would raise their hands and ask a question and they would whisper their question because they had been listening to someone whisper the whole time. So it was kind of interesting. So maybe you two can sound like this, but little nugget of wisdom. You become like the people you listen to, okay? Just free of charge, nothing new. Just think about that. Just think about it. You become like the people you listen to. Okay. Hey, I'm going to pray for us, um, and then we'll, we'll start our time together. Father, thank you for uh, the sunshine today. Thank you for the beautiful warm weather we experienced yesterday uh, in, the middle of, in the middle of winter uh, as a little bit of a reprieve. Thank you for the opportunity to be outside. And uh, Lord, as Sam reminded us, we thank you that we get to gather as your children, uh, as your family here today. We thank you for the people gathering around the world in large auditoriums and maybe in cramped basements or um, outside and um, who are celebrating you today, Jesus. We gather with your global church. and We're thankful to be a part of that. We're thankful to, for the chance to sing. We're thankful for the chance to connect with each other, meet new people, see um, friends that we've known for a long time. We thank, thank you for our kids upstairs and pray a blessing on them with the things that they'll learn. And we pray that as we look at the book of Daniel this morning, that we would, uh, you would show us, Holy Spirit, the things you want us to see that will influence our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So um, please raise your hand if you have ever participated in a TikTok challenge. Sam, our pastor, has. Uh, okay, three people, including our lead pastor. Four, okay, great job. Must have been on the, uh, must have been in the interview uh, discussion question. So a TikTok challenge is uh, an online challenge where you take a video of yourself doing something and then you post it on the uh, cellular application known as TikTok. Very hot with the youths these days. But uh, the challenge uh, could be a, like a, a bunch of things. Like you could video yourself doing something very um, impressive, like making a trick basketball shot, like standing on your roof and making a shot, and then you're going to put that on there. You could video yourself doing something sort of entertaining, like maybe you're going to like lip sync a popular song or do a dance, and you're going to put that on there. Or you could even just put a video on TikTok of yourself doing something very mundane, like, like um, cleaning your bathroom mirror. That was like a TikTok challenge that, went, that happened this year, just like people showing themselves cleaning their mirror, and it was like, oh, it's so satisfying to watch people cleaning their mirrors or, or cooking food or something like that, okay? So um, some popular TikTok challenges in the last few years. We had the plank challenge where you tried to hold a plank for as long as you could and put that, put that on TikTok. I guess we had the face wax challenge where people would video themselves waxing their face, men and women, men with beards, people waxing their face, showing that beauty. Beauty takes sacrifice, people. You know what I'm saying? Um, the corn cob challenge was popular where you just like ate a piece of corn, uh, corn cob, like as fast as you could, and, and you kind of vi videoed that, okay? So, but today, we're looking at the book of Daniel, and we're talking about the Empire of Babylon. And uh, I want to talk about the Roman Empire Challenge. Okay, that was a TikTok challenge that happened this, this past fall. And in this particular challenge, women would video themselves asking their husbands or boyfriends how much 
the men in their lives thought about the Roman Empire. That was the video. Ah, isn't the internet great? I can't believe we came up with something so good as that. But um, surprisingly, many women found that their significant other thought about the Roman Empire multiple times a week or even multiple times a day, okay? Uh, This trend became a meme, which means it just became an internet thing. And so people started even asking, like, what is your Roman Empire? Meaning, like, what is the thing that you think about a lot that maybe people would be surprised that you think about a lot or is, like, slightly embarrassing or weird or something like that? Um, I think I've said this before. I think everybody in the world has one favorite subject, and it's them. It's themselves, okay? So I think that's like a lot of times people's Roman Empire is just me. Like I'm thinking, thinking about myself. Um, uh, but people went online and divulged like embarrassing things like my, my uh, Roman Empire is jelly beans or, you know, whatever, something like that. And there was like this, this whole kind of thing along with it. Um, but for the purposes of what we're talking about, Today, it does also seem that there has been, in recent years, a growing interest in the Roman Empire, the actual historic Roman Empire, especially among younger men. And we're going to move on into the scriptures here in a minute, but I would propose to all of us that throughout human history, people, including me and you, have an innate desire to attach themselves to something larger than themselves and identify with some sort of an empire that gives their lives meaning. That empire could be like an actual political national kingdom. It could be an empire of celebrity, fame, finances. But it seems that humans are hardwired to look for something larger than ourselves to give us meaning and purpose. So today we're in the second week of a teaching series on the book of Daniel. It's in the Old Testament. Daniel uh, was a prophet. We are talking about empires today, particularly the Babylonian Empire, but also some political empires that follow Babylon. And this book, Daniel, centers around followers of God who are in exile in an empire that is not their home. And we're looking at this text in light of the idea that we ourselves, in 2024, live as exiles in a place that is not our eternal home. Paul, in the New Testament book of Philippians, writes this verse that we've put up on the chalkboard, and he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So as we look at the book of Daniel, we're asking ourselves, how do we live faithfully as exiles in a world that is not our ultimate home? So like I said, we're in the second chapter of Daniel. Here's some quick context on what's happening in Daniel, okay? The book takes place around 600 B.C., Just after King Nebuchadnezzar, the leader of the Babylonian Empire, has besieged Jerusalem, he's traveled to Jerusalem and taken many Israelites captive and brought them back to Babylon as exiles. Daniel is one of those people. He's an exile. He's he's forcibly taken, marched to Babylon. Last week, Sam preached and we read about Daniel and three of his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who also have other names they have a, have a Jewish name and a Babylonian name. And they serve in the court of King Nebuchadnezzar. It appears that they have somewhat, they have a position that is, appears maybe somewhat prominent. Like somewhere between maybe like a Washington DC intern and someone who works for like the Joint Chiefs of Staff. It appears that they have some level of prominence. They, they weren't slaves, but they were forcibly put into this position. 
and they're living and working outside of a world they, where the one true God that they worship is not acknowledged, okay? And Sam preached last week in a great sermon on Daniel chapter 1 where these, these men were, how did they live faithfully as followers of the one true God in an empire that didn't worship the one true God? So we're coming to, to chapter 2, and I'd invite you to open to Daniel chapter 2 either on your, in, in your copy of the Bible or on a phone or iPad if you have that with you. And you'll notice when you open it that Daniel 2 is a long chapter with a lot of texts. And you might want to start your own TikTok challenge called I'm Leaving Church Early when you see how long this chapter is. But what we're going to do is I'm going to summarize some of it and read some of it. Okay? Sound good? Sound good? So we're not going to read every verse of this. Um, but here's the summary of Daniel chapter 2. There's three like movements, three pieces of Daniel chapter 2. Here they are. Okay? Number one, Nebuchadnezzar's dream and threat. Number two, Daniel's response. And number three, Daniel's interpretation. So that's sort of the movement, okay? At the beginning of Daniel 2, we'll start with Nebuchadnezzar's dream and threat. We read this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. So Nebuchadnezzar is a tyrannical king. He rules with an iron fist. But the Bible, uh, and the Bible t tells us about that even just a in a few verses. But the Bible also paints him as a person in deep need, which is very interesting. Uh, it's interesting to maybe think of a person that you struggle to love or even a national figure that you have negative thoughts about or a person. And the, and the Bible frequently tells us to think of those people as people in deep need, not just people that we're, we're against, which is interesting. Um, and so Nebuchadnezzar is certainly in a deep need of acknowledging God as the one true God, but he's also in need of sleep. He's having disturbing dreams. Maybe some of us could identify with that where we have trouble sleeping or we're stressed about things. So he has a dream. And um, dream, in, the, in that time and culture, dreams were very important, especially for kings. They saw that dreams actually almost like dictated where the nation was going. And Nebuchadnezzar actually had a staff of people that were dream interpreters, astrologers, magicians that might feel weird to us. They were really like his most trusted advisors. So he calls them in. And he says, I had a dream. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. Like, not just that what it means. You have to tell me what I actually dreamed. And the people are like, that's crazy. No one, no one could know that. How could we possibly know your dream? But if you tell us the dream, you'll interpret it. Ne Nebuchadnezzar doubles down. He literally says, tell me the dream and the interpretation, or I will tear you limb from limb and destroy your homes. He's trying to win their hearts and minds, just gently... He, doesn't, he is not worrying about a re-election campaign because there were no elections, okay? He's the guy, okay? But he's like, you need to tell me the dream and the interpretation. The people are like, we can't do this. He says, I will kill you all. Okay, that's kind of how it worked, okay? You might really think, like, I'm like, sometimes I'm like, yeah, man, what's happening to our country? It's not this, okay? It's not that, okay? It's not that bad, okay? Like, um, so that's what happens, okay? That's sort of like the dream and the threat. Here's how Daniel responds, okay? Daniel and his friends are also part of this group of advisors on some level. So I want you to go to verse 13, Daniel 2, 13 through 24, and I'm going to read Daniel's response. 
and we're going to read a longer chunk, and I'd invite you to stand with me. So stand with me as we read. We're going to read Daniel 2, 13 through 24. When I'm done reading, I will say the word of the Lord, and you can respond, thanks be to God. Daniel 2, 13 through 24. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men in Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night, and then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and thus said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So Daniel and his friends are facing this death sentence, okay? And Daniel goes to the king's captain, Arioch, who's probably like Nebuchadnezzar's chief of staff, and Daniel says, I want an audience with the king. This is before the dream has been revealed to him. It's a bold step of faith. And I want to just make a note in verse 14, like a footnote. We're going to come back to it later. But in this verse, it says something really interesting. It says that Daniel replied with prudence and discretion in his request to see the king. Another translation says he replied with wisdom and tact. What I'm going to, I would assert that Daniel's entire stance in this chapter is that he takes a stand of confident humility. And we'll kind of, that'll be like sort of woven in throughout. So he wants to see the king, then he invites his friends to pray, and he's like, hey guys, I'm going to see the king, but I don't know what the dream is. So he asks them to pray, and in verse 18, his prayer is this. This is what he asks, verse 18. He says, he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. It's sort of a beautiful prayer. Like, hey, can you seek mercy? Let's seek mercy together. And God shows him the dream. In a vision to Daniel, God shows him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And then Daniel requests a se second time, goes to Arioch and says, I'm ready to see the king. I want to have an audience with the king because I, I now I'm ready to, I know the dream. But Daniel then prays a second prayer. It's what Andrew read for us in the call to worship this morning. 
I'm going to call it Daniel's Psalm because it's almost Psalm-like stuck into this long narrative text. And you guys, it is beautiful poetry. It is stunning. Let me read it for us again. This is 20 to 23. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to who belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matters. I just want to point out a few things in this psalm, this prayer that Daniel praise. First of all, he acknowledges God's sovereignty on a macro, large level, and on a micro level. He basically he acknowledges that God sets times, he sets season, and he appoints and tears down kings. So Daniel is essentially saying that any power or wisdom or gift that we have or anyone in history of the world has had, that, that thing has ultimately been granted to that person by the sovereign God. Then God is also sovereign over the smaller events of our lives because he has showed Daniel what Nebuchadnezzar's dream is. So on a larger level, God is sovereign, and on a smaller level of our lives, God is in control and sovereign. And in verse 22, Daniel offers this. We've read it three or four times today, but it's like this sentence that's so beautiful. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. He knows what is in the darkness. That is so incredibly comforting to me. Obviously, in this specific thing that happened, Daniel is thanking God because God has showed him what is in the darkness of Nebuchadnezzar's sleep and dreams, the literal darkness of Nebuchadnezzar's life. God showed Daniel the dream. But on a larger level, God knows what is in the darkness of this world and our lives. All of us, all of you in this room deal with darkness in, in some ways. You might deal with darkness of hard things that are happening to you right now. Right now, you might be facing something that seems beyond your control. There's things in the world that Sam mentioned that we prayed about. The situation in Israel, Ukraine, it's so dark. How do we even get our minds around that? How would we conceive of what we should do in those situations? We look in our own lives and see the darkness of sin or things we don't understand about ourselves. And I think in this text, Daniel is pointing ahead to Jesus who entered the darkness of this world and ultimately the darkness of death to triumph over it as the light of the world. In fact, the gospel writer John talking about Jesus says this in John 1.5, talking about Jesus, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, during one of the darker seasons of my life a few years ago, I was gifted a, a book called Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren. I would strongly, strongly recommend this piece of writing for a season if you're walking through a dark season. And at the end of the book, <clears throat> she says this in the final chapter, in the end, darkness is not explained, it is defeated. Night is not justified or solved, it is endured until light overcomes it and it is no more. Um, and ultimately, God knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with, with him, with the living God. 
This isn't really the point of the chapter, to be honest, but you should hear today that whatever darkness you're facing in your life is not too great or too dark for Jesus and that he desires to bring his presence and his power into that dark place in your life. So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He issues the threat, and Daniel responds. Daniel says, I'm, I'm going in there. And then God tells him what the dream is. And then Daniel interprets the dream. This is sort of the final part. He receives an audience with Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful, brutal person in the world. And he stands and tells him the dream and then interprets it. What is this dream we've been talking about for about 20 minutes that Nebuchadnezzar had? Let's see what it is. Okay, we're going to go to Daniel chapter 2, verses 27 through 35, and I'm going to read that passage of text, and I would invite you to stand with me again as we read, and then at the end I will say the word of the Lord, and you can say thanks be to God. So if you're able, please stand. Daniel 2, 27 through 35, it says this. Daniel answered the king, and said, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dreams and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me... This mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Before we talk about the actual dream, we should see that Daniel again gives glory to God for helping him interpret the dream. In verse 28, he says to the king, hey, there's a God in heaven who is revealing this mystery to me. And then Daniel says, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have. He stands with incredible uh, position of humility before the king to do something really, truly amazing. But in this dream, Nebuchadnezzar envisions like what the Bible says is a powerful image. Many people have depicted it as almost like a statue, possibly. And the statue or image seems to have four parts, okay? The head is made of gold. The chest and arms are silver. The middle or the thighs of the statue are made of bronze. The legs are made of iron, and the feet are mixture of iron and clay. Then... A stone, not made by any human hands, emerges, strikes the statue in the feet, the statue image disintegrates, and the stone becomes a mountain that fills the whole world. Almost universally, 
almost universally, it appears that scholars of the Bible interpret the statue or the image as representing four different worldly empires, starting with Babylon and progressing from the time of Daniel to the time of Christ. The gold head represented the current reign of Babylon, the Babylonian Empire. The silver chest, most people believe, represented Persia, the Persian Empire, followed Babylon. It was led largely by this guy Cyrus the Great. The bronze thighs or middle of the image represent Greece, the, the Greek Empire, ancient Greece. And finally, the legs of iron and then feet of clay represent the, the Roman Empire. The stone appears to represent the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which starts small and humble and marginalized, completely overshadowed by these larger empires, but grows to be a kingdom that fills the whole world. And Daniel concludes his dream interpretation with this, with this great declaration. Verses 44 and 45, Daniel concludes this. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. At the end of this, Daniel is leaning into sort of the confident side of the confident humility that he's shown throughout the passage. And he stands before the most powerful person in the world and says, one day your kingdom will be gone, but there is a kingdom that will stand forever. So that's, that's Daniel chapter 2. And then Daniel gets a promotion, and his friends get a promotion, and it's great. It's kind of what happens. Then, it, then, like a week later, they get thrown in a fiery furnace. Come back next week for that. A little bit of a roller coaster working for Nebuchadnezzar. Um, but what does this mean for us, okay? What, we're not like Daniel. Probably we're not necessarily going to be called to stand in front of a king or a senator or a world leader and interpret a dream. But as Sam preached about last week, Daniel was living in a place that was not his home. We are living in a place that is not our ultimate home. So how do we keep, how do we remind ourselves that our citizenship is in heaven, as the chalkboard tells us? Two thoughts as we close. Round and third, headed towards home. Two thoughts as we close. What does this mean for us? Number one, we live with confident humility. Number two, we live for the mountain. Let's start with the first. I've used this phrase, confident humility, throughout to describe really Daniel's posture in the chapter, but here's where I get it from. At the end of the description of his dream to Nebuchadnezzar, it says this. I read it. It says, G Daniel says, the dream is certain and its interpretation sure. He is confident that God's kingdom will one day reign over all other kingdoms. But remember back to verse 14, when Daniel first asked for an audience with Arioch, the, the captain of the guard, it says, then Daniel replied with prudence, wisdom, and discretion, tact. Daniel is confident and humble, and I would assert to you as followers of Christ in our world, we need both. Another way to say it would be we need to have grace and truth. And to be honest, in America in 2024, we hear a lot about Christ followers needing confidence. You might hear things like Christians need to take a stand. Or you might say 
Christians need to stand against harmful ideas in our world or our schools or our government. Confidence, we need that confidence. We also hear a lot about things of where, as Christians, we might need humility. You might hear things like this. We need to listen and understand where people are coming from. Or you might hear things like, oh, we need to lean into hard conversations and assume the best about people. And depending on your brand of Christianity, the books you read and podcasts you listen to, you might be more comfortable with one side or the other. You might say, yeah, we're ready. I'm ready to take a stand as a Christian. Or you might say, like, I'm, I just want to listen and learn. And, and I'm, I'm, like, boiling things down, very complicated things, into, into two things, which isn't always the case. Um, but I think it's an interesting test for yourself. Where do you find yourself? Are you more comfortable being confident or are you more comfortable being humble and maybe try to push yourself in the other direction, if that makes sense? Um, Because I would suggest we need both things and Daniel models those for us, but it's ultimately modeled in the person of Jesus Christ. And in John's description of Jesus, he says that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the perfect mixture of grace and truth. So I would recommend to you that as faithful followers of Jesus, we live with confident humility. And I would also suggest that our stand and what, we're sta- what, we, what we are saying matters, but the posture we take in how we say things also matters. Confident humility. Daniel models it really well for us. Number two, we live for the mountain. Nebuchadnezzar's dream ends with a small stone striking the image and growing into a great mountain that covers the whole world. Jesus references, he calls himself in the Gospel of Luke, the cornerstone, which is like the first brick you would put in a building and the whole foundation builds off of that. And Jesus appears to be referencing back to this idea that his life and death and resurrection has inaugurated a kingdom or a mountain that will one day cover the whole world. Um, And actually, this has already come true to a degree. As we speak, there are probably billions of people today gathering to sing songs to Jesus, to talk about Jesus, to think about Jesus. There are very few people gathering to do that for Nebuchadnezzar, I would imagine. Jesus' kingdom has, is much larger than Nebuchadnezzar's. Um, But also, Jesus, this is looking ahead to a day when Jesus will come back a second time in all kingdoms, and and he will make the new heavens and new earth, and there will be one humble, beautiful, powerful king in town, Jesus himself. It's a mountain that will fill the whole earth. Before the time of Daniel, there was another prophet in the world of Israel named Isaiah, and he talked a lot about the future coming of the kingdom of God and talked a lot about a mountain as an analogy for it. I just want to point out a few, and maybe if you're taking notes, I'm going to read these quick, but you might want to go back and read these passages during the week. They're beautiful passages where Isaiah is talking about the mountain of God. The first comes from Isaiah 2, 2 through 3, and it says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, 
that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Pointing to a time when the mountain of the Lord will be the highest mountain and God will teach us purely how to live with him. Then in Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, we read this. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Um, Friends, we live for a lot of things. We live for our families. We live for our jobs. We live for time off, for vacation. We might be really looking forward to watching the Super Bowl tonight, or not. We live for money, success, comfort. There's a lot of things we live for. But we should live knowing that if we are in Christ, our ultimate destination is the mountain of God where death and tears will be swallowed up and where we'll eat a rich feast hosted by the best host, God himself. Are you facing, do you face, are you facing trouble in your life? Many of us probably are. Maybe you're facing a very hard thing or maybe you're just facing the day-to-day annoyances of being a human, living with other humans in a, in a hard world. Live in light of the fact that God has an ultimate destination for you. And it's not just a better life here on earth, but a place on his holy mountain. Maybe you're facing temptation or sin, or you're frankly like, I don't know if I really want to follow Jesus. That's legit. That's my, there are very many reasons why people could feel that they're struggling with this or don't know what this means. But I would say, like, live life light in the fact that God has an ultimate destination where sin will be swallowed up and replaced with ultimate joy. I think that's an offer you cannot find anywhere else in life. So my question for you as we close would be, what are you living for? What is your Roman Empire, so to speak? God is inviting you to live for his mountain in the light of the stone of Jesus Christ with confident humility. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for this text. Thank you that almost 3,000 years ago, a very powerful king had a dream that um, troubled him. And you used your servant Daniel to show him that uh, that dream was showing a, a really, really important universal truth. That you set up kingdoms and kings and there are powerful nations, but you, Jesus, are the chief cornerstone and you are building a kingdom in this world and in our lives that will fill the whole earth and where you will reign forever. I pray for people in this room that are maybe facing trouble or challenges or sin in their life or even just doubts about you, that you would meet those things with the reality of your coming kingdom. I pray for those of us who who are here and are joyful and excited about you, that you would continue to fan that joy into flame. I thank you that you know what is in the darkness of this world, of the sin in our lives, and the light dwells with you, Jesus. We give you praise um, for being the stone who is building the mountain that will one day reign over all kings. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
Would you stand?